So we'll basically cover, we're going to get into two things today. Two things which I think is pretty helpful. One is we're going to see, we're going to take a look at what's a good and appropriate way to come to God and ask Him for things. What's a good and appropriate way to come before God and just like ask Him and like come before prayer and ask Him? Because believe it or not, there's actually times in the Bible, actually multiple times, where God Himself has said, you know what? I'm not going to listen to your prayers. I don't want to listen to them. Nope, I'm not doing it. God said that. Why would he say that? What was going on? What was happening? But God himself says that. So, we should probably be aware of things that maybe, you know, wouldn't want to uh, make God's ear in tune with us. So there's a certain way we should approach a holy God, because we can't forget that he's this holy God who reigns everything, who reigns supreme right now. So we'll talk about some of that. And then we're also going to talk about some signs of the time. So some things that are going on around us that it's like, wow, that's eerily similar to what the Bible has to say. It's quite a coincidence, but those of us in faith know that's more than a coincidence. So we're going to take a look at some of that stuff. So chapter 16, signs of the times. Uh, let's read through it and then we'll kind of break it down. So verse 1, it says, The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Jesus replies, When evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red in the morning. Uh, Today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign. But none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. And actually, we'll pause there and we'll open up in prayer. And so, God, we just... uh... Alright, so what we're going to do is we're going to first look at three observations from the passage. And then from there, we'll take it to like, okay, what are two things that I could do? So Jesus obviously has this conversation with these people. But, you know, it's 2013, St. Patrick's Day. What am I going to do with it? What does it have to do with us? So we'll take three observations away. So we'll kind of walk through it, talk about a little bit what's going on. And then we'll take away two applications, two things that we can actually put into practice that would help us with coming to God and asking Him for things. And then also being able to interpret what's going on around us, the signs of the times. So let's take a look. Let's see what's going on. So first observation... First observation is, haters unite. Haters unite. You ever meet some people, they just like have bad attitude, or maybe it's just a bad attitude towards you, and it's like they drank the haterade, you know what I'm saying? Like they just, they got bad attitude, and it's like, what is your deal? And they just, you know, hate or dislike or really come against anything, you know, you're trying to do. Maybe right now you're thinking of names and seeing faces and your blood pressure is already boiling. Jesus had some people like this. And among this particular group of haters, it's like you can really almost do nothing right. Everything you do is just really not enough and they never recognize it. I'm, pro- I'm sure probably a lot of moms feel like that some way. Sometimes, you know, it's just like nothing they ever do maybe is ever recognized or really ever noticed. So there's this particular crowd that follows Jesus around and they are definitely haters. They don't like him. And it's kind of interesting because actually 
this group that follows him around, they actually believe almost totally different things. But when it comes to Jesus, we'll hate him together. Like that's what we're going to join together on. It's crazy. So verse 1, it says, The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus. So here's the haters unite. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. So these are two groups of people. You've seen these before. We're not going to get real deep and real heavy into these guys. But basically, the Pharisees were like the strict, by the book, you know, to the T type of group of religious Jewish uh, people. Uh, the Sadducees um, were maybe a little bit more li- liberal. They didn't believe in an afterlife. Didn't even really um, believe in, didn't believe in resurrection of the dead. So Jesus uh, talk about you know he has to go and die on the cross and then be raised again on the third day it was like totally ridiculous to them. And so that's why you know some people will. That's why they're sad. You see, right? So bad joke. But right. So you have the Pharisees and you have the Sadducees. They're just in there. I can't get them out of me. You know. It's just, I got lots of corniness for days. Ask Julie about it. I'm sure she can tell you. So Pharisees and Sadducees. The haters unite. They come to him. And honestly, they have nothing good on their minds. They're just looking to trap him. Give him a hard time. Make things difficult. When we get confronted with people like that in life, sometimes it's very difficult, you know, to try and figure out how to handle that. You know, it's like, do I show them, you know, Christ's love or... Do I pay them much attention? I remember being, being told a piece of advice, you know, I was younger and talking about ministry and church stuff and just life in general. A certain, you know, maturity step was, you know what? You'd have to decide, Jared, exactly who you are, what God wants to do with you, you know, and then just go that way. He said, you just have to go through life with one eye closed and one ear covered. Not in a rebellious sense, you know, just be a rebel and just like irritate people and give them a hard time. But you just, you have to know who you are. Because there's always going to be people on both sides giving you a hard time. But if you feel like, this is what God has me to do. This is what God wants from me. This is the direction. This is the way he wants me to live my life. Then you just got to go and do it. So sometimes, yeah, you might want to show them Christ's love and be really patient and understanding. You know, but if people are coming around you, you know, where they're haters and they're just bent on really your destruction and proving you wrong and just giving you a hard time, I don't think you show them too much time. I mean, you just don't acknowledge that that much. They shouldn't have that much of a place in your life. And Jesus, that's kind of actually the way he treats this group right here. He already knows they've already made up their mind. They want nothing to do with them in an honest way. They just want to get their own agenda across. So it's up to us. Like we have to have like discernment and wisdom to be able to understand those times. It's not easy. So haters unite. So that's one observation. Here's a second observation. Second observation is they're looking for a fight. They're looking for a fight. So it says, The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. So let me show you how ridiculous this is, right? So in your Bible, you can look in the previous chapter. Look at just some of the subtitles. It says, Jesus feeds the 4,000. Yeah, show me another sign, I guess, huh? I guess that wasn't good enough. Then the next one, the faith of the Canaanite woman. Her daughter was healed from demon possession. Yeah, I guess that wasn't good enough. Turn back 
Again, chapter 14, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Yeah, why do that one twice? You know what I mean? Like, that's just old news, right? So you just go through, and you can see. And they were there every step of the way. And so they come to Jesus, and they say, Hey, listen, show us a sign that, you know, you're really, you're really the Messiah. You're really Jesus. And it's like, they just were seeing what they want to see. I mean, Jesus himself is doing amazing and miraculous things. That word testing is very important. It says they came to Jesus and they tested him. What does that really mean? Like, were they just, you know, asking a question? Or were they being rude about it? You know, how was their tone? You know, what was their body language like? Because that's kind of the problem when you're reading the Bible sometimes, you know. A big part of communication is not actually what you say. It's actually the tone and, like, your body language on how you delivered it. So when we look at the word testing, it gives us a little bit more insight. That word test, some synonyms and some also uh, words for that, is also means like a, a cross-examination or scrutinize. Or really like, you know, they have their glasses down and their arms folded and they're like, you know, with that look and they're like, really prove it to me. Show me. Like they're, you know, the arrogant, the, the proud impress me with another thing. And I'll make the final judgment if you're really Jesus. You know, that's kind of their attitude about it. And, you know, this wasn't the first time they asked. They asked Jesus this before. Four other times, actually, believe it or not, if you go through the Bible. So this one's like wasn't the first time they asked. And Jesus has delivered time and time and time and time again. And if you want to read later this week, you can. It's in Matthew 12, John chapter 6, Luke 11. But they didn't really care if he could answer them. They just wanted to scrutinize whatever he would do and try to trip him up later. So they're just looking just to test him, give him a hard time. So the third observation is here. How does Jesus respond to a group of people that's really drinking the haterade and they don't really care? Because he could even give them an honest answer and do something miraculous again. Hey, let's feed 10,000 this time. Let's like do, you know, 10 demon possessions today. It still won't be good enough. It's not going to work. Because at the end of the day, they just care about their own agenda. And however they can spin whatever he's doing in a negative and wrong way. You might, again, know some people like that. So how do we approach a situation or people like that? Do we give them a lot of time? Do we pay a lot of attention to them? Maybe at first, but after the fourth time, it's pretty obvious what they're about. So here's what Jesus says. Here's his response. He replies, he says, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather. For the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. So here's the third observation. First two was haters unite. They're looking for a fight. Third one, it has to rhyme, right? Check your eyesight. Check your eyesight. So after these insults and these haters give him a hard time, you can see he does not really address them in a really caring, compassionate, understanding sort of way. They've been doing this. They've been riding him, giving him a hard time. He says, you know what? 
I'm going to give you an answer. And that's just going to have to be good enough. Because I've already done a whole bunch by this time. And here's my answer. You're going to get one sign. You're going to get Jonah's sign. And when that happens, then you'll know. He's like almost kind of short with them. Almost kind of rude, I think some people might think. So, after all those observations, what could we take away from it? Like what could be helpful, you know, to us? Well, I think two things that will help us at least pray, talk to God a little bit more biblically and in a way that might open up more doors for us. And then I think another thing that we can take away is that there's been some other signs of the times that have happened from this time that might open our eyes and grow our faith a little bit that we might notice. And so I think that if you take the first part of this application and apply it to your prayer life, I know it will definitely help your prayer life and your prayers will definitely be changed. You'll see yourself praying in a different way. Actually, in a more biblical way. So here's the first application we could take from this. First application is review your requests. Review your requests. What am I talking about? They came to Jesus and they came to him looking to test him. Sometimes we can come to Jesus almost with the same attitude. Like in a lot of ways we're not that different sometimes than the Pharisees. Like, we're all human at the end of the day. Depending on a person's background and where they're coming from and how their life is going, many of us could be in a position where we're like, you know what, God? I don't know. You do this and, and then I'll give you some thought. We could definitely. I, I've done that myself. As a Christian, done that myself. God, you do that and okay, I will get more serious maybe in a way that you've been speaking to me. If you come through in this area and in this way, that thing you've been, you know, nudging me about, all right, I'll take that more seriously. We can put God to the test very easily. Because we're very good at putting ourselves at the center of our own universe. Where now God comes on my demands and in my situation, the way I think he should, can happen very easily. And if we surround ourselves, and we could even do it in the Christian circles. So if we surround ourselves like with other Christians that are like yes men almost and agree with us, they're like, yeah, where is God? What is he doing? You know what I mean? And just kind of egg us on in that way. So we got to be on guard against stuff like that. So I put a couple of fill-ins there that might help us out just a little bit to give us a clue, give us an idea when maybe we're headed down that road of maybe testing God and sort of putting Him on trial and cross-examining the God of the universe a little bit. Because we could definitely be doing it at some time. We want to be on guard against it. And I think to think that we don't do it is not really looking at the flesh and at ourselves in the right way. So here's the first one. It says, I know I am testing God I know I am testing God when my mind is made up already. I know I am testing God when my mind is made up already. The Pharisees and the Sadducees already had their minds made up. They weren't interested in really following God and surrendering to Jesus in a 110% kind of way. They weren't even really interested if He was really the Messiah. You would think that if they've been in 
church all the time and been reading their scrolls and looking at Psalms and Isaiah and keeping uh, up with their Sabbaths and doing the rituals and the routines, that if Messiah came, they might be thinking, man, maybe this is the guy. Well, if he did come, like, what would he do? I guess maybe he'd, like, you know, raise people from the dead. I guess maybe he might deliver people from sickness and disease. I guess he might live, like, this miraculous life. Unfortunately, there were really almost none Pharisees and Sadducees that are really interested. Their mind was already made up. So when we come to God, and we come to present our request, so I say review our request, when we come to present our request and pray before God, if our mind is already made up, when we come to prayer time, God, and then we come before Him, and we have almost like our list or our things on there, and it's like all for us to help make our lives easier and more comfortable, we might want to like review those requests a little bit. Because what can happen is that if we come with our laundry list of things that we think should happen and should work out, and they don't, we could say, well, where's God in that? Like, He didn't show up in that. Where was He? Where we want to be asking, like, what God has for us. And then if He doesn't come through then, well then, hey, God is definitely the one to blame in that case. But the only problem is then we pray according to His will, He always shows up in some way or another. So there's many people out and around us that pray or really just ask their genie God to give them what they need in their laundry list and we don't get it, there isn't a God. He's not around. I've prayed this stuff. That's not the way it works. If your mind is already made up about how we're going to determine the goodness of God, we're done. Like, that's That's it. Part of us coming to prayer is the acknowledgement. So that's how when uh, we pray, and Jesus gives the model prayer, and some people call it the Lord's Prayer. It starts off by just recognizing and praising who God is. Because we've got to understand that when we come to our knees, or we lock ourselves in our closet, or it's late at night and we click the TV off, hopefully, we just come and we start off and we say, God, I don't know what's going on. I know that you're God. We sing these songs about you being great and amazing and knowing everything. I have more questions than answers, but by faith, I'm going to believe that's the case. And when we put ourselves in that mindset before we pray, we know that we are praying and talking to a God that might deliver in a way different than what we were thinking. And we don't have him locked in a box or our mind is already made up about what we think should happen. Now, on the piggyback that, I'm not saying that we shouldn't come and pray before God like without any faith. I think we should come to God in faith and ask Him for things. I definitely do believe that. And if we come in faith and we come strong before Him, and this is difficult, like, you know, for some people, maybe they have been praying, you know, for... For a family, maybe that's like been praying for healing or something, you know, for a while. It's very difficult. Because if nothing comes through and there seems to be like no hope, well, that one's on God. You know, if we've been living faithful and surrendered and committed, and we've come like faithful before God, we've got to say, God, touch this person, heal this person, come through for them. 
and it doesn't happen, something else must be going on and we just don't know about and don't understand. Just have to be as faithful as we can in the meantime. So, that's application number one. We know we are testing God when our mind is made up already when we come into the prayer room. The second application is I know I am testing God when what I want is the most important. What I want is the most important. That's certainly a telltale sign of testing Him. Because the Pharisees and Sadducees, all they wanted was they really wanted to see Jesus sort of, you know, not be the Messiah. They wanted to see Him dissolve. And they wanted to see the people turn on Him. That's what they really wanted to see. So that way they could get praise and accolades from all the people. And so again, when we come before God, and what I want, my laundry list is the most important, instead of maybe what God wants to do, we're putting God to the test. What I want is the most important. So here's the other side of it. To where we can also gauge it. So, like, when are we not testing? Like, like how can we, you know, tell then? Because that's a positive. So we want to talk about that too. So, we know we are not testing God sinfully when we are honest. I know that I am not sinfully testing God when I'm honest. See, if the Pharisees and Sadducees came to him and they said, Hey, listen, we're still struggling with some stuff. Can you break it down for us? And they actually came to him and they approached him like that. I know, I saw you do the thousand thing and I, I saw the girl with the demon, but I, I know, maybe she was faking it. Like, I, I don't know, you know. Break this down for me. What exactly is going on? That's not testing God. That's an honest approach of the heart. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. There is actually a religious leader that had a situation like this. Nick at night. It's more than the television station, right? It's Nicodemus. You know, he came to Jesus at night when his friends weren't around. He's like, listen, I'm struggling with this. I'm not understanding. What are you doing? Like, what are you saying? I'm not getting this. It's not testing. That's not testing. That's not cross-examining. That's not, you know, putting him in the hot seat and making him prove something. It's an honest question. I don't get it, Lord. You know, what is going on here? Sometimes that's some of the most valuable prayers, most honest prayers, best prayers. God, I don't know what you are doing. And to be honest, I'm having such a hard time hanging in there right now. We've got to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes that's the best prayer in the world. And that's a prayer God can do something with. So we know we're not testing God sinfully when we're being honest. Last one, I know that I'm not sinfully testing God when I am fully submitted. I know I'm not testing God when I'm fully submitted. Because when we are fully submitted, or as submitted as we possibly can be, right? If someone's fully submitted all day, every day, all the time, well, wow, they're awesome, they're great, they're basically Jesus and they're perfect. Right? But that's just, you know, not the way it goes. But we can tell on the inside of us how in we really are. We can tell and we know that when we come before God, what things are tugging and nudging at our hearts. When he says, hey listen, 
yeah, I need to be into that area of your life. I need to be in that area. I need to be Lord of that area of your life. I need to be in this area of your life. I need you to step out in this way. No, you don't know what it's going to look like when you do it, but I need you to step Just trust me and go for it and do this. You know, our life is just submitted like that to the best that you can. And sometimes, you know, on some days you'll be totally submitted. And on some days you might be fighting God every step of the way. And it's like, no, I don't want to. No. You know, like Jaron just throws his fits, man. God, the fits are like unbelievable right now. It's just, you know, this morning... The iPad, like this kid loves the iPad. He just wants to watch videos on the. We, you know, have to let him watch little YouTube clips on the iPad, and uh, giggle bellies. Yep, wheels on the bus, and you know he's just, all this stuff on there. So you know, he if he sees it, it's like he gets possessed. You know, and I just can't let him see it. It's got to be out of sight, out of mind. Although that's not even technically true because sometimes he checks my pocket, you know, for my phone because he knows my phone can get the video. And so it's not even out of sight, out of mind then. It's just, you got pockets? Like, let me... So, like this morning, you know, the iPad, I'm walking by in the kitchen and I was on the counter and I was like, ah, you know, he saw it. No, you can't have it right now. You know, we're doing breakfast. No, you can't have it. He just drops. Head hits the floor, rolling around on the floor. And like we used to pay attention to it, but now it's Julie and I. Julie's like, I'm like, go that way. I'm going this way. We just leave. Let him in the room. He does his thing. And like you hear him like pick himself up, come around the corner. You know, coming for us because he wants to do the, you know, the fit in front of us again. It's just the... Uh, I can so totally see myself like that with God though sometimes where it's like some areas and some things is like, hey, listen, let me in on that. Come on, let's do this thing. That area, I told you, let me get in there. And he's not, not going to force it, you know. And, and I just remember, you know, certain things in my life like, so I remember a huge thing for me. Huge thing. So you got to understand like appearance and like in public, speaking in front of people, it's devastating for me. Devastating. You don't understand this unless you like, knew me and grew up with me. Devastating. And a big part is because like, uh, it was basically based out of fear. And so some people you know, might not like it, not because you know, maybe they're not afraid, but they just, I don't know, I may not just like it. But it was fear because like, I knew I had alopecia, you know, no hair, and I much rather preferred in those days and ages you know, wearing a hat, making sure nobody ever saw me let alone being in front and having everyone look at me. Forget that. Are you kidding me? That is ridiculous. So I was like the kid in like uh, third grade. You know, the teacher would call on, okay, you know, uh, and I had a different last name at the time. Uh, Mr. Crockett, are you going to share, you know, your journal entry? And I'm like, I just shook my head. I didn't even say anything. I just shook my head. And... Uh, Teacher's like, well, everybody else shared their journal entry. You know, would you like to, you know, share? And I'm like, and then she asked me a third time. And I started to cry a third time. I was like, I am so, so scared and so worked up. I don't want any part of this. And then I came around, went on a missions trip uh, when I was like 16. Went to Mexico. And, you know, go figure. On that missions trip, 
um, you know, the leader, uh, kind of towards the end, he said, hey, listen, you know, you're, and this is like, this is not, I'm not intending this to be like patting myself on the back. I'm trying to like say this because, um, you know, we're talking about being fully submitted and surrendered. And so that, that's the only reason why I'm saying this. So I, I don't want that to get mixed up. Uh, so the leader comes to me and he says, uh, you know, hey, listen, you know, you got quite a story and, you know, we can see God like at work in your life and you seem to just, you know, influence people in a way that's like hard to describe. You know, would you mind just sharing to the whole group, which is like 100 plus people, and I'm 16, uh, like about your testimony and about like God, how God has influenced your life. And, uh, and we're going to, uh, we're going to video record that too. <laughs> like, oh, no, no, I don't want any part of that. Heck no. So, you know, by 16, that's what I'm saying on the inside, but I'm looking at the guy and, you know, I'm melting. I'm like, uh, I, I don't know, you know. So then I decided to do it. <sighs> just struggled. My, I can remember standing up there. I don't even know what I said, to be honest. I just remember standing up there, and all I saw was like a red light, you know, on the thing. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm such an idiot. So I, like, stumbled through that, you know, and... Um, there's just been a lot of things, you know, along the way, where little by little, you know, God has just, you know, asked me to step out, you know, in different ways, in different places. I remember in church, you know, raising my hands for the first time and surrender, like during worship time. That was a huge deal for me. Huge deal. I don't know why. I don't know. So my teammates were playing basketball. I was on the bench. I'd be like, yes, you know, we got that. You know, but like in church, what I really like... I guess, you know, I could, I could mouth the words, you know, on the screen, but actually with my body say, I submit, I am yours. That was big time, you know? So I remember that, you know, that was big. And all these little steps, so they don't seem like, you know, maybe big deal, but that's what, what a life of submission looks like. It's, it's not like, I mean, the deal is when you become a Christian and you get saved for the first time, you say, all right, Lord, I'm in with you. I, I, I believe Jesus died for my sins. I want you to live in my life. I'm going to try and live my life for you. You know, boom, you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in your heart. But now we've got to walk that thing out, you know, and actually start to do that, you know. So it's like, okay, am, am I going to raise my hands, you know? Am, am I going to, like, maybe serve in this area? You know, will, will I take a step of faith out over here where I just, like, feel unprepared at all? But it seems like God maybe wants me to do that. You know, when we come to God and we pray and we ask Him for things, we're not testing Him if we're trying to live a life of submission like that. There's no testing involved. Because we're living a life as much as we can of surrender. And I'll tell you what, your prayer time just gets like so much like more freeing. Because you know in the back of your mind, man, I'm not keeping any of these corners away from Him anymore. He's into every part now. And I can like pray with freedom. Pray with freedom. You know what I mean? Pray with freedom. Not thinking that I'm a different person. It's a big deal. So here's that first part. First application was, when we come and we talk to God, review your requests. Review your requests. Like look at them. Analyze them. Say, what am I praying in my prayer life? Like what am I saying? And what am I praying for? And how, will, how am I you know, going to judge or look at what might happen after this prayer time? Am I doing it in the right ways? Am I looking for the right things? 
Maybe praying like the right way. And so that's why I went into that stuff. You know, if my mind is made up already, and if I'm just praying for what I want, and that's the most important, I'm in trouble. I'm testing God. I'm like the Pharisees. But if I'm coming honestly, and if I'm coming fully submitted, I'm on the right track. If I'm coming honestly and fully submitted, or really working on that submission, I'm on the right track. All right, now here's the last part, and we close with this part. Second application. Don't panic, but don't be passive. Don't panic, but don't be passive. What am I talking about? Let's take a look here. Jesus replies. He says, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today, it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. So let me read you a quick passage here. We didn't get there yet. But let me read you some stuff about this end times here. Because you might want to panic, and people might want to panic. So this is in Matthew 24. You don't have to turn there. Jesus says, Watch out! That no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. And then he goes on to tell them. He says, Then he will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And he will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It's pretty interesting. You know, you got wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, some versions they say uh, many earthquakes, uh, false prophets, uh, love of most growing cold. We don't want to be around during that time. Like that ain't, That's not going to be fun. It's not going to be good. And that's just like, the shortest preview and you know we're not getting into a huge depth here but you know bear with me here you know in this day and age right we are closer now certainly to the end times than before there's a lot of things going on let me just highlight a few things right we now have the ability to mark people right because that's a big sign at the end of time right mark of the beast we have an ability to do that to people now we can give them a mark you know we could put a computer chip in them that's not a big deal at all that's easy we could do that. Another sign for end of the times, right? Uh, you know, one currency. We have the ability for that. That's easy. We can get that done now. Swipe a card. We, know, we can all have the same currency. We could be headed in that direction. The economy is horrible worldwide. Um, it says that at the, when the end comes, people honestly aren't going to have any idea. They're going to be buying. They're going to be selling. They're going to be marrying. They're going to be giving away in marriage. They're going to be living life. And they're not going to have any idea about it. People have no idea. So there's going to be increase in earthquakes. You know, as of recently, uh, within the past, uh, I think I read this past week, uh, within the past 50 years, there's been the most amount of earthquakes ever of all time. Very interesting. 
uh, if you paid attention to the news recently, huge amounts of like fish and birds and stuff just dying in just like random numbers all of a sudden. And you have other scientists saying, yeah, you know, we're just really not quite sure, you know, what this is about. You know, but Jesus says, hey, listen, like this is the birth pains of things to come. I mean, we're certainly closer than we were uh, yesterday. It's very interesting. You know, you have all this heat going on in Israel right now. Israel's small. It's like the size of New Jersey. But that's like the hub. That's where everything is going down. That's where everything's happening. It's going to be very interesting. Right now, it's crazy. Ahmadinejad wants to wipe them out. Palestine, you know, in a very, very small way, recognized as a state, um, which is really Hamas-led. Um, it's pretty chaotic around there. And it doesn't look good. And there's countries that want to wipe them from the face of the earth. And it says when the Antichrist comes, right, the Antichrist, when he does come, it says the Antichrist is going to bring peace to that land. What? How is that going to happen? These people hate each other. Hate each other. And he's going to bring peace to the land. It says, and then he's going to uh, cause people to worship him. And then we know we're really close to rim for something. But depending upon how your viewpoints are with the Bible and you know, how this whole thing works out, you know, some people believe that we won't even be around for that time, that Christians will be raptured by then, you know, be taken away. Um, and then that will happen during like this tribulation time. The Antichrist will be there and all these things will happen. Um, but I'll tell you what, things are looking very, very close. Signs of the times are much, much different than when Jesus first said that. It's very interesting. Let me just give you this one very interesting piece I was studying this week and then that's it. We're done. I have um, a passage up here. Is um, Isaiah uh, 9.10. It says, The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild them with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we replace them with cedars. So, this passage, Isaiah uh, is writing. This is in response to God bringing some judgment on Israel. Okay? They were messing up. They weren't doing things right. They had some idols. They purposely like, kind of turned against God. So they weren't doing good. So what God did is he used the Assyrians at that time to come in, shake them up a little bit. And they did a lot of damage. It wasn't for good yet. They weren't totally taken over yet. But it was a sign of things to come. And so when the Assyrians first came in and did a lot of damage, took people away, took part of their city down, this is the response of the people. This was their response. They said, okay, the bricks have fallen. We're going to rebuild uh, with bigger stones. The sycamores are cut down. Our trees are cut down. We're going to come back with cedars, bigger, stronger trees. Almost like a spirit of defiance. Like, you know what? We're going to come back bigger, stronger, harder. Instead of maybe listening to those prophets that were around saying, hey, listen, we got to turn around and repent and get our lives right. Otherwise, God is going to take our land from us. Okay, so this is interesting. So, I have a next picture here, right? This is St. Paul's Chapel. All right, St. Paul's Chapel. So, anybody been to Ground Zero? Right, so St. Paul's Chapel, right there. So, 9-11 happens, Twin Towers fall. Everything's damaged around everywhere, except for this little chapel. In fact, the only thing that gets damaged and f um, near that chapel is a huge sycamore tree right there. I kid you not. Sycamore tree right there. Now, that, 
So it's interesting. This chapel, believe it or not, it's amazing. I was studying this week. I was like, what? So George Washington, right? The first time this nation was like prayed for, given over to um, God, like consecrated. So we haven't done it yet. We're going to do it. I just keep forgetting. Like a baby dedication. I'll take Jaron up here, you know, pray for him and whoever the babies want to do it, you know, dedicate him to the Lord. Consecrate him to the Lord. So our nation was like dedicated, consecrated in that building by George Washington in 1789. And he said, Lord, we commit this nation, basically, I'm paraphrasing, Lord, we commit this nation to you. And basically, if we don't hold up our end of the bargain, we know we're going to be in your judgment. So that's where, like, we were dedicated to the Lord. It was in that building. They actually had a big thing in the Congress building. Then they walked to this uh, church. They went downstairs in the basement, and they prayed together. It's amazing. How far are we from that? So catch this. On 9-11, right, the northern tower falls down. It strikes that sycamore tree. Now, in front of that church, the roots from that sycamore tree are actually bronzed. And it's almost like a symbol of, like, hope, you know, for people. Little do they know, it might have something to do with some judgment. After that sycamore tree goes down, right in ground zero, us, right, New York City, you know, America, we plant... Now, remember that passage, right? Plant cedars, right? The right word, you know, is eras, or like a pine tree, stronger, taller, wider trees. What did we do? We planted cedar tree right in the place, right in the corner of ground zero. We brought in this huge tree and just dropped it right in there. And we put a sign right on there saying, basically, this is our hope tree and we'll never be destroyed. We're going to come back bigger and stronger. Catch this. One day from 9-11, Tom Daschle quotes, he says, listen, you know, in a tragedy like this, it's hard to see any good in this. But we can be encouraged by the scriptures. In fact, I think there's a passage in Isaiah. And he quotes this very passage. John Edwards does three years later when he's running for vice presidential candidate. And the same spirit in there, Isaiah, his scripture was in there as well, and his uh, message, we will come back bigger, stronger, better. We have the leaders of our country saying, hey, listen, here's what we're going to do. Specifically, taking out this passage, you got a sycamore tree right there getting knocked down. We plant a cedar in its place, and we commemorate it, and we say we're going to come back bigger, stronger, better. We can't be defeated. It's eerily similar. Take it as you want. It is eerily similar. Now, I'm not saying Isaiah 9.10, you know, was about 9.11. What I'm suggesting is that God told the nation of Israel, hey, listen, start getting your stuff together. Let's repent. Come back to me. They chose not to, and some certain things happened. Us as a nation, we choose not to. God will give us some time. Some certain birth pains and things will happen. I don't know if we're going to make the right choice, to be honest with you. Because I think it's not even on the radar of America to come and, like, repent and come back to God. It's not even on the radar. 
So let's not panic, but let's not be passive. It's time to get busy. People need to meet Christ and get saved. We need to pray for them. We have no idea what's coming up down the pike. And listen, anybody who studies end times and signs of the times, America almost doesn't even play a role, non-existent. If you look through the biblical prophecies, not even existent, not even there. It's like, what? We lose our place. And most biblical scholars think we really just kind of self-implode on ourselves. So it's not time to panic, but we also got to realize that, listen, it's at a premium. And Jesus said, listen, the only sign you get is Jonah. And Jonah was the guy, you know, hanging in the belly of the whale, basically said, God, I don't want to do it. Whale ate him. He said, okay, I'll go do it. He goes to do it, gives a message. They repented. The vile nation, right? They repented. And you say, hey, listen, I hope you guys repent because that's the only sign you're getting. I'm going to rise from the dead. Hopefully you do repent because you know what? They're going to stand in judgment on you because they actually did when they heard the message. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, close with um, how deep the Father's love. And, uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. You know, how Jesus approaches, you know, basically when we call them these haters or these people that wanted to see him, you know, fail. But I think, you know, from them we can learn some good lessons as far as how to pray, how to approach God, try to better understand if we're ever testing God or headed down that road. And it also gives us a better understanding. Now, listen, time is at a premium. We have no idea what's going on and what's happening. Um, and our prayers matter. Our prayers matter. We've been strategically uh, positioned. And I don't think there's any more, uh, any better way to just close the service and thinking about, you know, how much God loves us and how much He loves those around us. Because at the end of the day, like, we're not the ones that are going to get them saved. Like, God is going to change their hearts. We just have to do our part to help bring them closer to Him. So we'll sing that song and then we'll close in prayer.